morning, everybody. You're very welcome uh, to this morning's session. And this is part of the HCI webinar series. My name is Una Gilvari, and I am the Chief Research Officer for HCI. And you're very welcome. And I'm so thankful that you would give us your time this morning. And what we're going to be doing today uh, for our, our, our half an hour, a little bit over maybe, this morning is looking at HICWA's newly released guidance documents and as they relate to the IPASS services and looking really, I suppose, more specifically in how they're going to impact the monitoring approach by HICWA. So hopefully you'll you'll uh, you'll take some learnings from today and move forward in that regard. Just first of all, for those of you who may not be aware, HCI uh, support providers of health and social care services to make intelligence-driven decisions to attain, manage, and improve quality, safety, and regulatory compliance. And we do this by streamlining, supporting, and transforming internal processes with a focus on ensuring quality safety service for service providers. We're over 19 years in business now with a staff in excess of 25. And to date, we've supported almost 600 health and social care services um, achieve their regulatory compliance requirements. So we always ask this question at the beginning of every webinar, well, why are we here? Well, I suppose before we can answer that, we just have to look back a little bit and just see the timeline that have brought us to these this group of documents that have been released. So back in 22, uh, we know that HICWA began pre preparations at that stage to take on this new regulatory function for monitoring and inspection of IPAS. And through that, they established that IPAS monitoring and inspections pillar within the, the healthcare regulation directors. Now, from the very outset, they implemented a pretty extensive stakeholder engagement plan, and through that, established also an expert advisory group, which met three times in 22. And as you're all aware, they conducted a number of pilot inspections then within accommodation centres at the back end of 22 to start to build their understanding um, in relation to the service. Moving on to 23 then, we know that they completed 41 on-site uh, workshops. I'm sure many of you were involved in that process. And again, through again an engagement strategy, this time with residents looking to carry their experiences and apply them within their pilot inspections. The big date in 23 was that 18th of December with the release of the SI649. And that really granted then the formal granting of HICWA the authority to monitor and inspect those IPAS centres against nationally mandated standards. So if we look at the legal framework now, carrying that information forward, obviously are at the very top, we have that EU legislation from back in 2013, which was then incorporated into Irish legislation under SI 230. So this new authority, authority to inspect legislation then slips in underneath this, again, giving that um, authority uh, to, to monitor and inspect services to HICWA. And then the application on the front line we have our national standards. So those national standards were released, as we know, by the Department of Justice and Equality, and that was back in 2018. And I think it's important to note that for the majority of the health and social care sectors that HICWA act as the competent authority for, generally the national standards they're working against are standards that they developed and released themselves under their own remit. Now, we're very aware that HICWA did provide advice and guidance um, in relation to the development of those standards. But I suppose really the guidance documents that have been released subsequently or just, just in January of this year, this really is providing HICWA with their uh, 
they're, they're rubber stamping the national standards and really projecting their own approach onto the application of those standards. So they're looking to support that shift in provision from providing just uh, focusing, I suppose, on the food and accommodation provision to a much broader person-centered, rights-based approach um, and, and model of working, which they believe still is aligned very much with the national standards. Now, that focus on person-centered and rights-based approach goes way back in relation to HICWA and their monitoring model for any health and social care service. Back in 2019, in, in conjunction with Safeguarding Ireland, they released this guidance on human rights-based approach in whole health and social care services and clearly within that they detailed that they feel that that rights-based approach is an important pillar of all of health and social care which should run in parallel with any other statutory and regulatory frameworks uh, which staff are required to follow so they see that push uh, very much in that regard back in in 2019 that was further extended then if we look at HICWA they released a document um, in relation to standards development where they really laid out their, their stall in relation to any standards that they were going to release going forward. Now, I'm bearing in mind that those our national standards are already there, but this also is very much reflective of the approach that they're going to take in relation to monitoring and inspection. So uh, they feel that these pillars, uh, that, that these central principles must be applied uh, throughout all of the health and social course, uh, health and social care services, and that they should in underpin all of the national standards going forward. So what are we talking about? Central to that process, person-centred supporting care, a real focus on the voices of the residents that are there, their needs, identifying their individual requirements, and uh, a central focus on uh, achieving objectives from their perspective perspective. They're looking for real responsiveness within organization. What does that mean? They're looking for organizations to monitor their services, be understanding and knowledgeable in relation to services, and utilizing the information that's coming out of services back in to drive continuous improvement within the service. So they're looking for that drive towards continuous improvement rather than a stagnation of just about doing enough to get by. They're looking at another pillar that safety and well-being, not only of our residents, but also of our staff. And how are we ensuring and safeguarding uh, those individuals within the service that we're providing? Certainly, accountability is a massive pillar. And in the approach for HICWA, in any of the health and social care services that they're monitoring, governance is an enormous part of that. And they're looking for senior management to be really, truly accountable, knowledgeable of the service, engaged with the service, and, and uh, ensuring that there's clarity on the roles and responsibilities of individuals in relation to the provision of a safe quality service. And here we have the rights-based approach again. So again, taking the uh, ensuring that the rights, privacy and dignity of our residents or service users are central to our approach. So these pillars are really not only just the foundations for their, their national standards, but also for their approach in relation to monitoring within services. So if we look at the guides uh, themselves and, and the type of content that's in it, the largest of them is the guide to monitoring of IPAS. Um, and it really provides an overview of the approach by HICWA when monitoring accommodation standards. 
So there's a number of sections here. As I said, there's a significant amount of information. We're just going to focus on two of those today um, and, and just tease them out a little bit more at the start section. One is the statutory framework, again, looking at the, the legal uh, uh, basis and foundation that has allowed HICWA to become the uh, competent authority in that regard. Section two about notifying HICWA, there's some significant information or a lot of detailed information there about the level of notification required from an outset and from an ongoing basis um, uh, with HICWA acting as the authority. Governance and risk, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about this um, in, in a couple of minutes, but that is central to the monitoring approach. This uh, section about information about the service itself. And then the next section we're, we're going to spend most amount of time on is in relation to the inspection process, primarily because it directly relates to that judgment support framework and the guidance to the judgment support framework. And then they also have a section on escalation procedures should they find issues in relation to compliance. So if we just look at the governance and risk-based approach and just tease that out a little bit, because I do think it's so central to the monitoring approach that HIC would take in relation to health and social care services. And I certainly would see it being no different for IPAS. This is a quote from the Chief Inspector of Services um, just from a, a couple of years ago. Regulation has shown that in order for any provider to deliver and sustain a good service, there must be effective governance and management. The provider must have robust, robust governance arrangements in place in order to ensure that safe, quality service is being run. Service providers also need to assure themselves of the safety of the quality of the service, rather than relying on HICWA inspectors to find non-compliance. I think that's really, really key. So they're looking for governance to stand up at the front of that service, um, have that accountability, clarity on their roles and responsibilities, robust systems in place, and also pushing the responsibility back on those providers to ensure that the monitoring of the services is there and the identification of the weaknesses of the services is taken on by those providers. And that it's not like an NCT where we can run our car through and see what problems might be there. That's certainly not the approach that HICWA are going to take. They expect you to be out ahead um, of any weaknesses that might be in the service, identifying them and working to address them in that regard. So within the uh, the guidance document released, it talks about the governance uh, governance being the organizational framework that incorporates systems, processes, and behaviors that support that organization to do the right thing, to make the right decision at the right time. So really it is the foundation as far as they are concerned in relation to your quality and safety, uh, providing quality and safety service. That means a service which is well-governed, does right by the person receiving support. So again, that central focus on um, person-centered care. And it, they believe that that is the essence of it. Governance is about leadership. Um, they certainly recognize that they're looking for, as I said, real accountability from an individual perspective, but also from our teams, our committees that we have in place, and that there's a robust model around them to clearly define what are their roles and responsibilities in the organization, be that through terms of reference for our job descriptions, whatever the case may be. But there's a clarity and understanding of the uh, roles and responsibilities and that we are leading out um, in, the, in, in ensuring that we have a quality and safe service. It's very clear. Um, and when HICWA come on site uh, through when they're doing their inspections, the first port of call is going to be senior management. They are looking for quality and safety to come from the top 
top down, not for something that's pushed from the bottom up the day of of one individual being in charge of quality living in uh, an office out the back is 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 well and truly gone. And they're looking for that leadership in relation to quality safety to be pushed um, from the top right the way through the service and, and into service provision. And they expect that all staff members are acutely aware of their individual operational and professional responsibilities and accountabilities. So they're looking for evidence of that throughout uh, throughout the organization. So what, what does that mean then in relation to regulatory risk and their approach? Um, we would always say that governance is, is really the key to the warm, fuzzy feeling that HICWA might get when they come on site or when they have any level of engagement um, with the service providers. And if they feel that there's a robust governance model in place, the right people are there, they have the right understanding and knowledge, they're actively um, monitoring a service and driving improvements throughout it, that reduces the regulatory risk that they would see in relation to the organization. But when they do apply their monitoring process, all of their consideration in relation to regulatory risk is what would be the impact of any issues on the quality and safety of care that's being provided, care or support that's being provided. And that really is the central stick that when we're reviewing our services and the quality of the service that we're providing, the safety of the service that we're providing, we have to consider all services are continually changing, improving. There are always weaknesses. Problems always arise. But when we look at those problems, and particularly this is applicable <clears throat> when you're reviewing your incidents, <clears throat> excuse me, or adverse events, what is the impact on the quality and safety of care being provided by that issue? And if that impact is significant, then we must react appropriately because HICWA are certainly going to pri prioritize their regulatory resources where they where they feel that there is a risk to the quality and safety of services being provided and obviously in response to any of those findings they're going to respond appropriately so if they think there are significant risk they may look at uh, additional inspections they'll consider if the risk is acceptable and perhaps whether escalation is required so it's something certainly to keep in mind in relation to it most of what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about is, I suppose, Section 5 and the inspection process because it is really uh, primarily linked to the judgment support framework and how they will apply them within an on-site inspection in that regard. So we know that, that there are three types of inspections. We have our general monitoring inspections. They're routine. They may be announced or unannounced, but they're looking at the quality of the service provided and the level of compliance in that regard. There are also thematic inspections. We've seen a number of these applied, uh, particularly within the residential care services, where they focus on improving the quality of a specific area of service. So this isn't really about finding problems. It's about trying to drive continuous improvement or improvements within a particular area. And in many cases, they may release a new guidance document with a specific focus, say in relation to restrictive practices in, in for, for residential or maybe in relation to safeguarding. And then they will drive thematic inspections to improve that. We've certainly seen it in IPC. Uh, also. And then we have those targeted and focused ins uh, inspections. And generally, these are in response um, uh, to, to a risk that might have been identified either through solicited or unsolicited information. 
irrespective of the inspect or of the inspection type or the service, they implement the 10 fieldwork steps. And I'm not going to really get into them in any in any detail at all. I just want to look at uh, the on-site inspection and how they go about gathering evidence when they go on site and how we can utilize uh, the judgment support framework to really prepare ourselves for that process. Uh, when they do this gathering of evidence, and again, when they're providing you with your reports, they do that under two dimensions. And again, this is something they've applied across the board for their national standards within other services. So we have our capacity and capability dimension, which relates to governance, leadership, recruitment, education, training, and centrally monitoring of the service. And the second being quality and safety, which is more related to the day-to-day -day activities on our facilities and environment. And they'll generally break those out into that model and their agendas will follow suit in that regard. So the assessment judgment framework, we've talked about it a lot. What is it about? Well, it's providing us really with the lines of inquiry that they're going to ask in relation to each of the particular standards. So we've seen this and it really is just a set of questions that we must be able to prepare ourselves for and have uh, strong answers uh, in regard to each. So where did they get those lines of inquiry? Well, if we, it's very clear that we can map these questions uh, to the indicators within the national standards. In certain cases, they might tease them out into two separate questions, but really, in general, they're going to relate to the indicators in each stage. So we know what they're going to ask, but what do they expect to see? Well, that's where the guidance on the assessment judgment framework comes into bear. And this is really uh, providing us with examples of the type of information and evidence HICWA will review um, and uh, to assess your level of compliance. And they drew that to, as we call it, the triangulation of observation, communication and documentation. So. I just wanted to give a little example of the, and we'll, we'll go through one and then we'll look at some comparisons in that regard. So in relation to standard 1.4, so that's about the service provider monitoring and reviewing the quality of care and, and driving improvements on an ongoing basis. So for that standard, what can we expect them to see or what will the inspectors expect to see? So inspectors may observe if the quality and safety of care and support as outlined in the evaluation service is put into practice. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, our policies and procedures are reflective of the regulatory requirements, the legislative framework, evidence-based best practice, and then are they being actually implemented on the floor by our staff or staff on knowledgeable on, on the policies and procedures, and are they actually implementing them in that regard? So they'll certainly expect to see that. They'll want to see if there's any evidence of learning, um, or improvement brought about as a result of the findings of reviews, monitoring visits, or consultations. So what they're really looking for here is that we have an effective monitoring process that is taking the information back out of the service that the services is, uh, is providing on a day-to-day -day basis, taking that information back in, analyzing it, and driving uh, improvements and learnings on that regard. Um, so that information is being utilized to best effect rather than just ply, plowing on regardless. And that we are we are giving, there are proper systems and processes in place to ensure that information can be collated and reviewed. They're gonna to look to see if there's any evidence from feedback, both from residents, staff and others to inform practices. Do, so do we have models in place um, that allow that communication and information to flow freely uh, 
from 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 staff and from residents back in again for analysis and to drive learning and improvement. And they're going to look for the provider to see if they have taken steps to eliminate discrimination, promote equality and protect the human rights. Now, although they're saying this, these are the types of types of information they would expect to see. They don't tell us how to do it. They don't tell us how the provider should eliminate discrimination or how the provider should promote equality or protect human rights. That job is up to you and your decisions and the processes that you put in place. It is your responsibility to ensure that they're there and that they're effective. They're not going to 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 um, give it out in piecemeal information of how best to do this. That is your responsibility to ensure that your processes and systems are sufficiently robust to ensure that HICWA are happy that that information is appropriately, be, appropriately being received and utilised. So that's something to think about, um, and we'll talk about it a little bit later as we move on. From a communication perspective, what would they, uh, what, who would they talk to? Well, certainly, as I say, the first port of call will always be to the senior management, the provider, our managers, and they're going to see if they are actually knowledgeable about their responsibilities in relation to the requirements. Do they understand what's required of them? Is there clarity in relation to their roles and responsibilities? Is there communication within the senior management team to ensure that this, uh, these, this information is being collated and worked on uh, appropriately. They're certainly going to talk to staff also to determine uh, do they understand what the quality of the service is or what their roles and responsibilities are in relation to it. They're looking for a culture of openness and transparency. Um, you know, do we have again those communication forums that are going to allow information to be transferred back and forth openly uh, by uh, from staff to management, because we all know that the people that are on the front line are doing the job on a day to day basis, certainly have a huge amount of information um, that is worth collating and feeding back into the service. They're going to uh, see if the staff know how to raise concerns and if they feel supported to do so. So do we have protected disclosure processes in place and are they do we have an open door policy in relation to our, uh, our management with staff? And they're also looking to determine if there are adequate resources in place to promote and support improvement and change. And this is significant. I mean, do we just have enough resources to keep our heads above water just about being able to provide a service? Or do we have the flexibility and, and resources that allow us to be able to actually drive improvements and take that information and utilize it and make changes? Or is it just a case of uh, keeping our head above water in relation to the service. They're going to also communicate with residents if possible, again, looking to see if their feedback and information is being utilised and brought back in. Um, so it is allowing that, that, um, ensuring that we have that communication process in place, be it through questionnaires or feedback mechanisms, whatever the case may be. Again, that is up to you to ensure that it is sufficient and robust enough to do the job, but taking that information and driving improvements from that. From a documentation perspective, this can be quite broad. And this is just, as I said, in relation to that standard for monitoring or reviews of quality of care. The suite of documentation that they may look at to support um, a, a decision of compliance or not can be quite wide, wide ranging. Now, certainly they're going to look at for the service to have some model of 
quality improvement planning or projects that are put in place. You know, if we identify an issue, how are we driving improvements in that regard? Are we utilizing the complaints and instant reports again to drive improvements? And, you know, a lot of services uh, you know, are under the misguided view that, oh, do you keep the numbers down and complaints and keeping the numbers small in relation to instant reports? Generally, that's more of a red flag than anything else. What you want to do is try, as we say, take the gift of complaints or, you know, where incidents arise, taking that information and ensuring uh, that it doesn't reoccur. And that's really what the concern is. It's not about the number of complaints. It's about whether there are repetitive issues uh, in relation to complaints or incidents where we're not addressing root cause and we're not effectively ensuring that, they're, uh, uh, that they don't arise again. They're certainly going to look for training records. If it isn't, if it hasn't been written down, it didn't happen. Are we um, engaging with our staff and driving, uh, improving their skills in that regard and ensuring that they have the competencies to be able to uh, to apply the, the quality and safety of service provided? Job descriptions are really, really important that we have um, outlined specific roles and responsibilities uh, within those and that everybody is very clear in relation to those responsibilities. Annual review report is a requirement and that really needs to be very robust. So again, in conjunction, I would say with your audit reports, that annual review report is really, again, a great indicator for HICWA to see how strong you are in monitoring um, and reviewing your services. I mean, is it just a tick box exercise or are we really tenacious in trying to find out what are the weaknesses of our services and drive improvements in that regard? Um, Agendas and minutes, terms of reference, really important. You know, is there clarity in relation to the teams and committees that are there uh, in relation to their roles and responsibilities? And is there evidence of those terms of reference being uh, applied through uh, the minutes of meetings that arise from that regard? So it's quite a broad scale. And I would say those types of documents can be pulled really in relation to any of the standard, uh, giving evidence of any of the standard applications. And from those, you know, the judgments are made in relation uh, to the level of compliance that has been achieved by the service. I just briefly want to mention before we go back to the guidance judgment support frameworks again, the self-assessment questionnaire, I mean, it's it's pretty self-explanatory. It really just takes those lines of inquiry that we already have in the assessment judgment framework and details them out and provides you with the tool, which is very effective. I mean, this can be utilized as your quality improvement uh, projects uh, as, as a listing in that regard. And it's a, a useful tool to have when we have identified changes that are required to drive improvement. So looking at these four documents together, are there any gaps that we can see that, you know, problems that we're not, okay, we, we have a lot of information, but do we have enough to be really prepared in relation to HICWA. So we know the standards uh, and, and the requirements that needs to be achieved. We, we have guidance that are going to, that supports our understanding of the requirements and it details the systems and processes required. However, we need to ensure the effectiveness of these systems and processes in the provision of our service to achieve compliance. So what do we mean by that? It's touching back on what I mentioned earlier. It's about ensuring the robustness of the system that you put in place. And the best way that I could, I suppose, give an example of that, what I wanted to do was just map the requirements from, I, from the IPAS onto um, similar standards from residential care and just look at some of the findings that HICWA have identified, uh, which 
could possibly be similar when they come on site uh, in relation to IPAS services. So an example here, again, I've utilized that uh, standard 1.4. So on the left, you have your IPAS NASA standard. The service provider monitors and reviews the quality of care and the experience of children and adults living in the center and is improved on an ongoing basis. And also under that, as an indicator, it talks about improvement audits, regular audits to assess, evaluate, and improve services in a systematic way. Very comparable on the right-hand side. This is the; these are the regulations and related standards in residential services. So again, governance and management, a management system to ensure that the service provided is safe, appropriate, consistent, and monitored, and then regular audits, audits being carried out to assess, evaluate, and improve in a systematic way. Absolutely comparable in relation to the indicator also for audits for IPAS. So, HICWO monitor against these standards all the time. And we have a, a lot of information that we can pull and see what are the types of non-conformances or issues that they're identifying in services in that regard. So these are this is a sample of findings from a wide range of inspection reports. First out, there was no audit schedule in place for 2023. So nowhere in, in relation to those standards does it say you have to have an audit schedule, but HICWA have identified that if you have if you are going to have a robust audit model or audit process and it requires it to be completed in a systematic way, you are going to require an audit schedule. So they would see that as a weakness in the system if you don't have an audit schedule in place. Another case, the inspector was not assured that the auditing system was sufficiently robust to identify areas for improvement within the service. There was a large suite of audits that were completed regularly by management, but they just weren't effective at identifying areas of improvement. So what we had was, oh, yeah, we have a lovely set of audits here. Tick box, ticks box. But when HICWA came on site and they reviewed the service, they could see that the internal audits bear no resemblance to the actual application of the service and the issues uh, that were within um, the service in that regard. So they're looking for a robustness of the quality or the inspection or the audit process to, uh, to ensure that it is effective. In this case, audit tools were utilized by the service. Again, there's no requirement for audit tools, but the service decided to use audit tools, but they found that they were not sufficiently robust or effective to identify findings uh, that the inspectors found on the day of the inspection. So the service themselves did an inspection of facilities and found 98% overall compliance, but that differed significantly from HICWA inspection as they identified high levels of dirt and poor hygiene. An IPC infection audit concluded that there were insufficient cleaning hours and recommendations were made. So the service themselves said, yep, our cleaning hours aren't sufficient. And we made, and they made recommendations in that regard. However, when HICWA came in, they found that those recommendations were never implemented. So they either failed to implement them or sustained their own recommendations. In a privacy and dignity audit, it identified the requirement for improvements, but there was no action plan or person responsible uh, identified to oversee and implement the required improvements. So, yeah, they said there's a weakness there, there's a problem, but they just did absolutely nothing about it. There was no evidence to support the audit findings were followed up with smart action plans in respect to all relevant actions. Um, Areas. And we find that many times in audits. Uh, so much good work is done at the front end, really good audits done, 
and then they just fall off the face, you know, they fall off the cliff and there's no actions, there's no people identified as being responsible because the management of those actions is not being followed through. Inspectors found no formalized system of disseminating and communicating findings of audits to staff to support learning. So again, the information that was being produced by the service identifying areas that were problematic wasn't being utilized to drive learnings and improvement within the service to try and eradicate it moving forward. Another example I just thought I would pull out here, this was again, IPAS standards on the left, the service provider has effective leadership governance and management arrangements and its staff are clearly accountable. A similar one from the residential services, as effective leadership, governance and management arrangements and clear lines of accountability. So very, very similar. So what were the type of findings that HICWA were finding in that regard? There's a failure on behalf of the provider to maintain oversight of the quality and safety of care in the centre. The provider has abdicated its responsibility and was failing in accountability for the overall quality and safety of services delivered to residents. So there was the punches pilot done by the provider. That's your responsibility, pushing it down into the lower levels uh, with no accountability uh, taken by that provider, no driving of leadership and no ownership in relation to the, the responsibility for the provision of quality and safety of care. Roles and responsibilities of the senior team were not clearly defined. There was a real lack of communication between the team, which impacted on the delivery of care to the residents. And this is where we have uh, that, that bell goes off in relation to regulatory risk. Is it impacting on the quality and safety of care that's being provided to services or to service users or residents? And they saw in this case that that lack of communication and lack of understanding of roles and responsibility was directly impacting on the residents. And staff reported that they received mixed instructions from different senior managers. So again, utilizing that communication element of their monitoring process, they're receiving that information from staff saying, well, I'm not sure somebody says this and somebody else says that. And those mixed instructions, again, impacting on the uh, service being provided. There was a lack of a clearly defined management structure, the lines of authority and accountability um, specifying the roles and responsibilities were not clearly documented. So again, from the teams um, and, and those senior management, again, looking at uh, real clarity on authority and accountability. And that also goes for any form of delegation that may, uh, may be put in place. And delegation became a really big element, particularly post-COVID, uh, post where you know, it's not viable for one person to be responsible for everything. And if they're taken out of the equation, what's going to happen to the service? Is it all going to fall apart? So looking at formally delegating elements of responsibility to others, engaging with them, providing them with the skills to so, so to ensure that if that individual was taken out of the service, that the service is still supported um, and, and that there's that there's understanding of the roles and responsibilities should that arise. They found that communication between members of the management team was informal and did not ensure that the service was managed and delivered in line with the policies and procedures. So again, the, uh, the if, it, if it's not written down, it didn't happen. And we need a formal structure in place to ensure that the issues that are arising are being effectively monitored and, uh, and responded to appropriately.
The roles, remit and decision making responsibilities of the management team were not clearly defined. This resulted in inconsistent monitoring process and the delegation of roles and responsibilities to frontline staff without appropriate oversight. So again, teams, uh, terms of reference not being very clear who's doing what. And instead, delegating to frontline staff, you look after that with no training. Uh, you know, core competencies not being there um, and not being supervised to implement uh, those roles uh, within the service. Communications and reporting structures were not clear for all staff, and particularly for agency or relief staff, and a formal uh, communication system to report resident issues was not in place. So again, the communication model and the structures to be able to support the quality and safety of care being delivered wasn't in place um, and directly impacted again on uh, the residents in that case. So all, with all of that in mind, we have a lot of guidance. We have standards, we have requirements, we know the questions that they're going to ask, we know the way that they're going to inspect, but we have no assurances. We need, and I suppose this is our responsibility, we need to have effective, robust systems and processes in place to ensure the quality and safety of care. They will tell you what you what they will, uh, what they expect to see, who they will talk to, what they, uh, you know, the documentation that they will review. But they will generally say, you must have a system and process in place. What that system and process looks like, how it is structured, how it is formalized, and what the output from that system and process is, uh, or process is, is your responsibility. And you need to be able to provide assurances to HICWA as part of the monitoring process that it is sufficiently robust, that it does have, uh, that it is person-centered, um, that it is considerate of privacy and dignity, that there is accountability, that there is um, real monitoring uh, applied in relation to the provision of the service or of the process, and that we are utilizing the information that arises from that system to drive continuous improvement within the service. So, with all of that in mind, how can we help? Well, certainly, HICWA, our, our uh, HCI, are, are very happy to support um, IPAS services in your preparation for your monitoring through that gap analysis or mock HICWA audits or whatever the case may be, mock HICWA inspections. And we can do that against the national standards, utilizing the HICWA guidance documents, but certainly bringing a lot of experience in relation to um, the, the HICWA approaches as they are applied. Um, and from that, we develop uh, comprehensive reports, identify not only just uh, areas of, of non-compliance or, or areas that require further development, but certainly looking at the recommendations, um, should there be any in relation to developing more robust systems and processes to assure compliance and also, of course, keeping your service users central to the service uh, being provided. If you have any questions or queries in relation to that, I'm sure Rosemary would be more than happy to take um, a call or an email in that regard. Um, and would just like to say thank you so much again for your time. And I hope it was of value to, to you today. Um, and we hope to be back in touch with many of you again. And hopefully we'll have another one of our webinars that will provide you with a little bit more information as the, uh, as the model progresses into the future. Okay, guys, thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing you again soon.